Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you already know you are absolutely in the right place. And I want to do a shout out of thank you to our listeners around the world who have made this one of our most popular Game Changers series. Financial excellence with Game Changers must be resonating with so many of you in the business world, around the world, and we really appreciate it. It's always in our top three or top four most popular series out of all 37 series. What can I say? So let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Okay. I have a quote from Jim Buchanan. All I know is that he's the editor of Blackline Magazine, and here's what he says. Financial shared services have come a long way since they started gaining popularity back in the 1990s. So we've established something about what we're going to talk about today. Let me give you a little more background, and then we'll introduce our panelists. First, we're going to talk about financial efficiencies and transparency. What's so important? They are crucial, critical, key for distributed enterprises today. But how can you design more intelligent finance processes? And more intelligent goes together. They're not more intelligent finance processes, but more intelligent finance processes. We're talking to the office of the CEO, CFO, anybody in the financial area, the financial department. Well, there is something that is a promising approach, and I just alluded to it a moment ago in the quote from Jim Buchanan. Standardize your processes throughout the organization, centralize them at a few select locations, make sure you've got plenty of people to support them, and build a foundation for new technologies. And this goes under the header of shared services. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The episode title officially is The Heart of Intelligence Finance. Share and share alike, the heart of intelligent finance. You can take it any way you want. That's what we're talking about. Let me tell you who my panelists are. Uh, we have three out of the four. We're working on getting the fourth one. First up, first up, we have Arjun Krishnamurthy. He's a senior manager at Deloitte Consulting. Second up, we have Werner Zeitelberger, director at the Hackett Group Strategy and Transformation Practice in Europe. And third up, we have Oliver Schoenborn. I hope I'm saying that right, Oliver, senior solution marketing specialist at SAPSE. And Oliver, you can tell your friend Robin that he's not answering his phone. We're still trying to get him on the panel, and he's not answering either number. So we may have to forego him, but we're still going to try to reach him. So welcome to our esteemed panelists. Let's start off with Arjun Krishnamurthy at Deloitte Consulting. And a shout out, of course, to Carla Neal, who is our go-to person in terms of getting talent from Deloitte here on our Game Changers show. She's always at the ready to suggest thought leaders who are smart and flexible enough to come on and have a conversation. So shout out. And I know Carla is listening and I see her on Twitter right now. Here is the quote. Arjun has sent us a quote from Jeff Bezos. Very interesting quote, five little words. Jeff Bezos, if you are under a rock somewhere, Jeffrey Preston Bezos, American tech entrepreneur, investor, and philanthropist. You know his name because he's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Amazon, the world's largest online retailer. He's a young guy born in 1964. I think that's young. But his net worth this year, according to Forbes, is one point one four one point three, one hundred forty one point three billion. U.S. dollars. So there. Must be paying off well. Here's the quote Arjun has selected. I think frugality 
drives innovation. Arjun, welcome to Game Changers Radio, and tell us how you picked this quote for our topic today, please. Thank you, Bonnie. I uh, appreciate it. So, really glad to be here and sort of share my experience. So this, this quote actually sort of stuck in my head when I was reading one of his books, um, because, you know, me personally, I'm actually both lazy and cheap. So frugality is something uh, <laughs> is sort of stuck in my head. And also, if you look at the, the role of CFOs uh, over the last couple of decades, and it's becoming more prevalent now, and especially with shared so its background, is to allocate resources in the most frugal way, but getting maximum value out of it. But in the past, the focus has been more on how do I cut costs and how do I you know, trim down my expenses versus uh, this code is almost like triggering the thinking of can instead of focusing on just cutting the cost, can we uh, direct that passion of frugality towards driving innovation that results in not just cutting costs, but also expanding marketplace, new insights, and, and new ways of uh, delivering to the market. Thank you very much. I love what you said, cheap, cheap and frugal. When you come to the concept of frugal, Arjun, versus efficient, cost-effective, do you think this is something that would be a characteristic of the companies that understand the need for shared services, for intelligent finance? They would say, well, our CFO, our CEO, our CFO, they're really cheap people, so let's see what we can do to cut back. Do you think that's something they would admit, or would they couch it a different way? I, I, I mean, there's definitely uh, a lot of case studies out there where there's desire to cut costs, right? There's a constant uh, view to, uh, and research being happening within the organization to see where are you spending, what are the different spend analytics that we need to look at. But again, it, it, but I think that the shift is don't look at this as just cost cutting, but sort mm-hmm. of channelize that, that energy of frugality towards how can I innovate out of it? How can I, especially with the complex um, you know, technology marketplace that we're living in, where we're talking about machine learning, we're talking about artificial intelligence, where in, 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 in the past, shared services were seen with a pure lens of how do I standardize, how do I centralize, how do I outsource, and how do I uh, sort of um, offshore so for labor arbitrage, right, versus... Now, can you innovate out of it? Can you make some of these processes touchless because you've, uh, you're sort of radically thought through the process with the lens of the new technologies versus trying to just see this as a uh, headcount reduction? Thank you very much, Arjun. Great start to our topic. Appreciate it. And I, I understand we do have our fourth panelist, and we'll get to Robin in just a few minutes. Up next is Werner Zeitelberger, if you want to look him up, Z-E-I-T-L-B-E-R-G-E-R, at the Hackett Group's Strategy and Transformation Practice in Europe. And Werner has sent us a quote from Jack Welsh. Anybody doesn't know who Jack Welsh is, I'm about to tell you. John Francis, nicknamed Jack Welsh, Jr., Born in 1935, an American retired business executive, author, and chemical engineer. Why is he important to us? Well, he was the chairman and CEO of General Electric, that's GE, between 1981 and 2001. While he was there, get this, GE's value rose by 4 thousand percent. His network 12 years ago in 2006 was just 720 million. But what's also remarkable about Welsh, when he retired from GE, he received a severance payment of 417 million, that's with an M dollars, the largest such payment in 
history. There we go. Here's the quote. If the rate of change on the outside of an institution exceeds the rate of change on the inside, the end is near. Werner, I had to make that dramatic, so please forgive me. Werner Zeidelberger, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thanks, Bonnie. Very good. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Talk to me about this quote. It sounds like doom and gloom. What's going on in the quote, and how does it relate to our topic about intelligent finance and shared services? Werner? Yeah, this is correct. It's um, it's a bit dramatic, uh, and uh, given that the quote is uh, almost 20 years old, uh, but I think it's today more relevant than ever before, uh, because if you look at today's business environment, uh, it's become uh, so challenging for companies. Uh, you have the digital transformation, which is going so fast. Uh, you have globalization, which has become enormously competitive. This whole discussion about disruptive business models, uh, all the macroeconomic challenges, uh, mega trends. Uh, so all of these things together put a lot of pressure on companies nowadays. Uh, and this whole business environment has become highly volatile. So companies kind of need to adapt. They need to learn how to deal with this new volatility because obviously that's the new normal, I'm afraid. Yeah? Because in the past, uh, I think waiting and see what others do and learn from them uh, yeah, was kind of an option. But today it isn't anymore. Or if it is, it's very risky, uh, especially when it comes to digital. Uh, so companies need to get into the driver's seat. Uh, they need to start to build up know-how, get experience, uh, find mm-hmm. their way to use digital transformation to succeed in the long run. Uh, and I think... and that here connects to shared services. This whole concept about shared services and a shared service organization, centralization in general, can be a very powerful lever uh, to do that because it helps uh, to use and allocate your resources as effective and as efficient as possible. And that's exactly why I've chosen this quote from Jack Welch. Uh, this whole change in volatility has become the new normal, and we need to somehow uh, get used to that and learn how to, do, to deal with it. Uh. Thank you very much. Do you think that this is new, uh, Vernon? Let me just ask you, as the audience is listening to what we've talked about so far with you and Arjun at Deloitte Consulting, do you think we're saying anything new? Is the concept of shared services something new? The concept of being cost-effective but not cheap? Is this something that's groundbreaking or are we just reinforcing, which is important too, reinforcing a concept that is the handwriting on the wall for companies that aren't there yet? Just briefly, what's your point of view. Mm-hmm. So I think shared service is not a trend anymore. Uh, shared service or the leverage of a shared service organization has become a, um, an essential component of a modern operating model because companies have realized that uh, shared services and the centralization of uh, certain resources works quite well and is actually a powerful lever in increasing efficiency but also effectiveness. Uh, I think it all started a couple of years back with a uh, is purely focused on efficiency, uh, which um, was just stated by Arjun, uh, meaning cost and labor arbitrage. But now we see the pendulum is swinging back and uh, this whole effectiveness play, which is uh, more or less quality, uh, becomes more and more important. And companies have started using the shared service organization more and more, more to standardize, to drive, auto, uh, to drive automation, drive harmonization, and reap all the quality and effectiveness um, uh, benefits which come with it. Uh. Thank you, Werner. 
Good good addition to what Arjun introduced for our topic. Thank you. Now let's go to our third panelist, Oliver Schoenborn, a senior solution marketing specialist. I kind of slurred that one. Senior solution marketing specialist at SAP SE. And he has sent us a quote from Hunter S. Thompson. I didn't know that the S stood for Stockton. I don't know if you knew that, Oliver. He lived from 1937 to 2005, American journalist and author, and the, co- the founder, actually, of what we call the Gonzo, G-O-N-Z-O, journalism movement. He wrote an unconventional magazine feature titled The Kentucky Derby is Decadent and Depraved for a monthly magazine in 1970, which got him established in the counterculture and established him in the new journalism subgenre he named Gonzo. He's most best, best, best known for his book Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which was the year after 1971, a book serialized in Rolling Stone magazine in which he grapples with the implications of what he considered the failure of the 1960s counterculture movement. Enough about Hunter S. Thompson. Here's the quote, and I really need you to help us figure this one out, Oliver. The quote, so now, less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. And with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark, that place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. I feel like I just read a poem. Oliver, welcome. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Tell I need you a little closer to your microphone. You're a little far away. I need you to tell me how this beautiful line from Hunter S. Thompson has to do with our very pragmatic topic of intelligent finance and shared services. Go ahead, Oliver. So does it work better for you from an audio quality? That's perfect now. Absolutely perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so now why I feel that this uh, this quote is relevant is because it's it's about two things. It's actually one, but I've, I've separated it in two. The first, it's a um, an observation of a culture of change. That is what I take from this quote. And the the uh, the other thing is about the culture of change from an outside perspective. You know, we just heard the word pendulum swing back and forth. Forth. That's of course the exact same thing with a wave. But the the thing that strikes me most is that. We see right now something that actually he's he's talking about in his quote, which is the a change that is uh, brought up by a new generation that is kind of building up a new a new culture to to, revo- to revolutionize against something they inherited from their parents. And actually, that is something that is going on in IT technology right now because the, the all the IT systems that are out there, or most of them, with especially with with big companies. There, we have inherited them from from our parents and everybody. And and back like twenty or thirty years later, it was about it. It wasn't about the efficient process. It was about supporting the value chain in any way they could. And they had to deal with a lot of data constraints. So now we see we see a huge wave coming in and a huge change that is that is driven by technology. That um, yeah, that 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 supports that's supposed to change the entire thing. And the other thing, just to quickly wrap up, is uh, the outside perspective, because actually he's saying that less than five years later, the, the entire thing was broken down, right? He, he talks about the fact that this new culture, this asset generation, as he calls it, has broken down, but he's not even aware of how massive the actual disruption in that cultural change was. We're still mm-hmm. seeing it now and how an entire generation shifted. So he thinks, well, okay, it was a minor change, but actually 20, 30 years later, it turns out that this changed generations and generations, how they work, how they think, you know? 
That's why I think uh, it's about change. That's why it's relevant. Thank you very much. Very, very relevant. I, I love it when a quote is kind of hard to figure out, but you can tell that I enjoy reading beautiful prose. So thank you. Thank you for that opportunity, Oliver. Who knew on a show about intelligent finance and shared services, we'd be reading passages from Hunter S. Thompson that would make us think in a different direction. Very appreciated. And now the good news, we have Robin. And Robin, I need you to pronounce your last name for me. Is it Bao or Bao? Bao. Yeah, Bao. Bao is correct. Robin Bao, a global director at SAP. And Robin has sent us a quote from Steve Poliak. I have a little background. Steve Poliak, original name was S-T-J-E-P-A-N, Stepan Lucian Poljak. He lived from 1889 to 1955. Interesting, he was an American neurologist and one of the most prominent neuroanatomists, I never heard of that word, of the 20th century. He studied the functional structure of the organs of sight, our eyes, and hearing, our ears. He also gave a new interpretation of the basic visual processes. So here is the quote. This is surprising from a guy who left us in 1955. Quote, Before we work on artificial intelligence, why don't we do something about natural stupidity? Robin, I'm sorry, that's over the top. Robin Bao, welcome to Game Changers. Glad we finally got a hold of you. So please tell us how you picked this quote to relate to our topic of intelligent finance, which is the opposite of natural stupidity. Go ahead, Robin. Thanks a lot, Robin. Thanks for having me and putting so much effort in getting you on the line. I hope we're you happy. understand. Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, I was hoping that this statement would actually disqualify me from this discussion, around, but uh, it seems like you would actually really give me a chance to explain it. So, um, yeah, so let me give it a try and, and um, explain why I think this provocative statement um, fits very well into this discussion. Around. So, um, please don't get me wrong, I think my message here is not that people are generally speaking stupid. Right? But the point here I want to make is there are so many new, great, latest and greatest technologies out there which do have the potential to fundamentally change uh, the way we do business that we sometimes uh, forget about the obvious things that we can do to achieve those goals. Right. So let's take machine learning as mm-hmm. an example because that's my area of expertise. Um, Machine learning, for those who don't have the background knowledge, it's, it's a technology that um, leverages data to learn from it, yeah, so we don't have to explicitly program the software. Um, and it helps us to do certain things that we weren't able to do in the past. It helps us to automate certain things, it helps us to predict certain things, and so on and so forth, and it does that in a way better than a human could do it, faster, more precise, and so on and so forth. Now, that is a great thing to have, and of course it has these potentials, but um, one of the things I come across quite frequently when I'm discussing those new technologies with other people is that um, it creates so much excitement that it um, keeps us from having a look into other things which are uh, of relevance as well. So let me give you an example. Um, classic example is that there are many questions on whether machine learning would help us to um, improve the accounts payable process, right? So, mm-hmm. reading invoices. 
And of course, machine learning can do that. Machine learning can help to deliver better results than classical solutions that are reading invoices. But the core question here is, is it really something that we should improve or should we critically have a look at the process itself and see whether we could entirely rethink the process? The process of reading invoices is uh, decades old, and the main challenge of the process is that one business partner is printing out an invoice and the other one is trying to read it into his system again and trying to reconcile the data because of the fact that the two data sets are uh, siloed. Now, if we could just digitize the entire process, if we would put all the business partners on the same platform and they would electronically exchange the data based on a common data set, there wouldn't be a need to um, leverage machine learning to understand paper-based documents. And that's the point that I want to make here. Great technologies are generating great opportunities, but sometimes it's really worth having a look also into how we can uh, optimize and, and um, improve the processes by just rethinking them. Thank you very much, Robin. Let's circle around the panel, and we're going to do a little storytelling right now. And the storytelling is, where are you today, whether we called you or you called us? And the question of the day is, what's in your cup today, or what are you thinking about drinking later on? What's the drink that really gets you going and makes you intelligent as well as making finance intelligent? So Arjun Krishnamurthy at Deloitte Consulting, where are you, and what do you love to drink? I'm actually in Providence, Rhode Island uh, today, and what I like to drink is uh, I'm a big coffee connoisseur, and I love I'm a big coffee freak, and 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 actually recently discovered this app called Drift Away, where you can actually order coffees, and they actually send you different samples of coffee, and then you sort of respond by what sort of uh, you like or don't like, and the and, and based on the response, they actually resend different packages of coffee. So I actually realized that I like my mildly uh, roasted, nutty-flavored coffee. So I didn't even realize that until this um, intelligence-based app is actually telling me, and I'm 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 actually you know brewing that at home, roasting it, and and, and grinding it and brewing it at home, and I enjoy that. Arjun, this is something nobody has ever mentioned on the radio on thousands of shows. And I went to the site, driftaway, one word, dot coffee. And it says, your app for coffee discovery, the first app of its kind, a brand new way to experience and learn about coffee, discover what kinds of coffee you like, find your coffee personality. Well, I think mine is close to yours, actually. And get personalized coffee recommendations like what you should order at a cafe. I'm going to have to go get a hold of that. Uh, let's see. After delivering coffee to thousands of customers across the U.S., we realized the most eye-opening and exciting experience for people was the exploration of the initial coffee discovering kit that comes with every new Drift Away subscription plan. Okay, I'm not going to do an ad for them, but it sounds fascinating. Thank you, Arjun. That was new and exciting. I appreciate that. And now let's turn to Werner Zeidelberger at the Hackett Group. And a shout out to your colleague, Nilly Asides. We're always, Asides rhymes with Mercedes, she always told me, who has been on several of our shows this series, as well as our flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Werner, please send Nilly our best. And, Werner, where are you today, and what do you love to drink? Today, I'm calling in from Austria. 
And um, this is also related to uh, what's in my cup. Yeah. So be, um, born and raised in Austria, the Viennese coffee culture is uh, literally in my DNA. Yeah. Plus, I've got family in Italy as well. So I think by nature, yeah, I'm very much into coffee. Yeah. So I've got uh, different beans, uh, all kind of uh, specialties. My uh, trusted coffee shop uh, who does the roasting for me. So they have really uh, mastered the process and they do this kind of medium roast, a very balanced flavor, a light fruity note, a little bit of um, um, bitty flavor. So that's the perfect coffee. Yeah? And uh, together with my uh, very old school espresso machine and my grinder, uh, that's what I usually use uh, in order to prepare my daily cups of coffee. Yeah? So I guess I truly live the motto, uh, life is too short to drink bad coffee or bad wine. Yeah? <laughs> that's the spirit that's a great spirit thank you very much yes it is I'll tell you what my tastes are in just a few minutes thank you very much Oliver Schoenburn talk to me where are you today and what do you love to drink Oliver the best drink in the whole world what makes you the happiest <laughs> so uh, I'm in uh, in my former boss's office in our corporate headquarters in Waldorf um, I'm sitting here pretty alone um just to have the uh, the quiet space that I need. And actually, you know, I'm going to be boring for a second, and I'm going to tell you that I am drinking one of my favorite drinks, and it is water. And the sad mm-hmm. part about that is, is that I actually just said I'm going to be boring because, you know, the thing is <laughs> our life is pretty much filled up by, by the simple stuff, right? 80, 90% of, a li- of, of our life is stuff we do all the time, so... And, and stuff you have all the time, like water, for example. So if you not only do what you love, but try to uh, love what you do and, and enjoy the simple stuff, your life actually becomes 80% enjoyment. So I actually enjoy drinking water. I love it. I even drink the chlorine stuff I get in the United States. I'm one of the only ones from Germany I know who can drink that stuff. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that is uh, pretty much my drink and my philosophy about my drink. <laughs> I used to live in New York, and they said that New York City tap water right out of the tap with everything in it was the best-tasting water you could find anywhere. So I, I, I don't know. Maybe the chemicals, we just found them very tasty. I'm not sure. Thank you, Oliver. And Robin Bow, we'd love to know where you are today and what's in your cup or what do you love to drink the best? So uh, I'm sitting here in my office in, in Bonn, which uh, Germany, that is uh, for those who are not familiar with Geographics is the former capital of Germany. Enjoying the great weather, awesome, out there. And as soon as we finish this show, I will go outside and drink an ice cold Fassbrausen. I don't know whether you know that. No. um, A traditional German drink. It could be translated into keg soda. So it's made out of spices and uh, malt extract and fruits, and it's stored in a keg. So it looks a bit like beer. It tastes great as well. And uh, the advantage is that uh, you can drink it even while you're on the radio show without having any impact on your mental condition because you don't have alcohol in it. Thank you very much, Robin. 
Robin, we're going to try calling you back on Skype. So Aaron's going to tell you how to add us so we have the uh, connection for you and see if we can get a clearer connection. So I'm Bonnie, and I, gentlemen, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and I think you already understand why or why not. However, I do love, I think somebody said, a really dark coffee that almost tastes like chocolate. That's how dark I like it. And I have a Nespresso machine. Of course, it's red, not quite to match my hair, but we're both redheads, the machine and I. And I am going, and I love to make an, an espresso on the Nespresso and put it in a very short, beautiful, heavy glass cup with the etching of the world map around it. It's an old Nestle and Nescafe giveaways. These were promotional mugs they gave away, I think in the 70s and I buy them on eBay. I have a whole collection and they're gorgeous. And then I foam some 1% milk, very cold, in the foaming device that comes with my Nespresso, the separate foamer. And I put that on top of the coffee and I stir it gently with a spoon and I make a coffee froth. I have no idea what you call that, but I eat it with a spoon. And even if it's cold, it's delicious. I hope I'm not shocking any of you coffee lovers. But when I'm on the air... All I'm allowed to have is water. So whoever said water, I'm with you. And I use a Brita filter and I have a cool clear mug with a cool clear pink straw today because it's sunny here in Durham, North Carolina, and we are in for our third consecutive day of mid-90s. They say the temperature is going to get up to 97 degrees Fahrenheit here today. So air conditioner better keep running. That's all I can say. We're having a really interesting conversation with four experts on the topic. We're talking about shared services. The goal is intelligent finance for you and your company wherever you are around the world. We're speaking with Arjun, A-R-J-U-N, Krishna Murthy at Deloitte Consulting. And again, a shout out to Carla Neal, to Werner Zeitelberger at the Hackett Group, Oliver Schoenburn and Robin Bow, both at SAP Finance. And a shout out as well to Michael Alexander Deal at SAP, who put this wonderful panel together. Michael, you really outdid yourself on this one. And a shout out to the series sponsor, Chris Grundy, also at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I plan to be after the break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. 90 seconds. You can count along with us. Aaron, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. 
And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Okay, we're back talking about intelligent finance. Would you have it any other way? And shared services. We're speaking today with four experts. I just mentioned that before the break and to save time, I'm going, oh my goodness, it's getting late. I'm going to circle around the table to Arjun Krishnamurthy at Deloitte Consulting. And here is something very interesting, a reality check. Arjun told me in his notes before the show. He says, many business leaders have been making bold statements in analytics, appointing chief analytics officer, or a chief data officer, hiring data scientists, and implementing analytics platforms. But research shows most companies are unable to convert their pilot programs to scaled platforms in the search for intelligent finance. Arjun, why don't you just take two minutes to go around the table, and then we will add Werner, and we will add Oliver, and if we have Robin, we will add him, and we'll go around the table. Go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, on the analytics bandwagon, everybody is jumping in and uh, sort of trying to, you know, essentially implement platforms and technology first, uh, without sort of thinking through a clear vision of, you know, what 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 is that I want to get out of this, and what are the key decision questions that need to be asked, and and I, in a sense, not a list of use cases is, is not a vision, right? So, I think. Uh, one of the challenges that, that most of the um, most of the you know, CAOs or chief, chief data officers are having a challenge is you implement a pilot program, um, it works for that specific use case, but it, they're not able to scale. E- even even with a sort of a vision to have a uh, shared service, sort of a reporting COE or an analytics COE that provides a, a centralized and standardized uh, reporting and analytics um, support system for the entire organization. I think the studies show that the lack of clarity on vision and also prioritizing these sort of use cases and what is feasible and what are, what is, what are the ones that are actually creating um, true business value and impact. And um, the, the other thing that sort of comes as a, a curveball that people don't realize it soon enough is understanding the, the work that goes into data preparation. Right now, with the the volumes of data, the, the technology and the capability to handle the volumes of data with in memory, with with you know, uh, thing, things that can with, with deep deep learning and and and, uh, and capabilities as such, the volume and, and the data is is significantly available. But is the preparation work there? And I think having a fully uh, you know flushed out thought process and having a parallel track in preparing the data, data definitions, data labeling, and sort of building a good data model. And so that, that it supports the, the, the data vision that the, the, um, the CFO has. And once that vision is clear, then the other piece that uh, needs to be also talked through is the talent and, and the role that people play, right? One of the challenges is that from a talent model perspective, while the platform is there, from the data is there, the people are still in the old world thinking. We need to make sure that we groom that talent to be analysts, be those data scientists who can un- and unravel the, the insights from this uh, platform and be a support organization to, to, the, to their business partners. 
Thank you very much. Let's see if we can get comments from Werner Zeidelberger at the Hackett Group. Werner, talk to me about what Arjun just shared, please. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, this whole digital transformation is changing uh, the shared service um, environment. Uh, and, you know, at the end, uh, most of the uh, shared service centers, they sit on a lot of data. Uh, as just mentioned, they're the only systems, the master data, the payment. So there is that big playground uh, to leverage technology. Uh, the question uh, Arjun pointed out, which is, uh, I think, the most critical one is the talent one, yeah? Because this whole mm-hmm. digital transformation yeah, is uh, often when you talk to people very much focused on purely technology. But if you don't have the right talent in place uh, who is able to deal with that technology, to use the technology in order to create value add, uh, it, uh, it's useless. Uh, and that's why I think it's um, very important that shared service centers start uh, to put more focus on the whole talent agenda uh, and developing talent and uh, that's actually a very broad topic because it starts with uh, recruiting the right people. How can you attract the right people? But you get the people from with the right skills yeah? because a uh, typical profile today does look very different from a typical shared service center profile five years ago because today you have uh, an IT 7 uh, more or less as a prerequisite. Yeah? Everybody needs to understand IT, needs to be able to think uh, like uh, an, a computer needs to connect the dots between process and technology. Uh, so I think this is a very important step for shared services to move on as the maturing uh, and put more focus on the telemanagement agenda and also start uh, developing people accordingly so that the people uh, will be able in the future to actually uh, orchestrate between the technology, the machine, and uh, the process people and the functions. I think this is absolutely crucial uh, for every shared service Thank in you. Thank you very much, Werner. I want to move over to Oliver Schoenburn at SAP. Oliver, love to get your thoughts. Well, I hope this isn't just a round of four people openly agreeing with each other. By <laughs> Touche. Um, so, <laughs> so the, the thing is, I, I would even put an additional emphasis on on the people point because um both of you guys already said it but it's i think it's even more more important than 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 many people acknowledge the thing is technology has been changing over time for the last 30 years but the disruption right now and the digital transformation is much bigger than anything i've seen before and many people have seen before because the change actually is not so much in technology of course it's technology driven Mm-hmm. But the change that's actually happened is that people are becoming digital in the way they think, in the way they work, in the way they expect their work to be done. They, they expect that what they're, what they're used to in their private lives is being reflected at work. They don't want to have complicated processes anymore. They don't want to have outdated user interfaces. And that fundamental change in people is actually what's driving much of the uh, transformation and the to, to get those people in line to work with you and create that new enterprise and those new processes, I think that's coming down to another thing that Arjun said in the beginning. It's about the vision. It's about how you get people a sense of purpose about what you're doing, how you're redesigning, and how you bring them to, to embrace change and to, to completely rethink the way the enterprise is run, those processes are run. 
Thank you very much. And I want to, Oliver, and I want to move around back to, we have three on the panel now. That's our, that's our new panel. We just have three. Arjun, anything you want to do to wrap up this part of the conversation? Really good one. You started and yes, you are all agreeing, but you're agreeing in a good way. We're learning a lot from each of you and that's the way it goes. So Arjun, anything you want to add before I pick a topic from Werner's list? Yeah, I think the, the all good top, good points, both for Oliver and Werner, which is, I think they, they hit the nail on the head when it came to the talent aspect of it, right? We always think technology first, not just for the, the topic of analytics. It's true when it comes to shared service. It's true come to, when it comes to any sort of a business transformation that is technology enabled. We need to have a clear vision and with the people in mind. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, I'm looking here at Werner's notes, and Werner, I have a little bit of a doom and gloom statement from you here, and I'd like you to pull in some recent Hackett research, but you say the digital transformation will fundamentally change the GBS setup, and you're going to define GBS for me in a moment, and if GBS organizations don't get into the driver's seat and own the transformation journey, they may disrupt it be disrupted by emerging technologies and third-party service providers. So give us the background for this. Is this doom and gloom? Is this something that's going to happen? And what companies do you see will be affected, impacted? Werner? Yeah, happy to do that. So GBS stands for Global Business Services. So when we define uh, or when we talk about shared services, uh, shared services was the term used a couple of years back when we say uh, single function shared services. But nowadays, uh, uh, shared service organizations um, have developed uh, and have become uh, global business services uh, because usually they don't do um, finance or IT anymore. Yeah? Most of the bigger shared service organizations have, have become uh, multifunctional and global. That's why we are call them global business services. Um, so when it comes uh, to the statement, uh, um, we recently conducted a hack um, piece of research and according to that, uh, the whole digital transformation, and we have touched on a few things, automation, harmonization, standardization uh, earlier, um, has got the further efficiency potential between roughly 20 and uh, 35%. Uh, so depending on the current level of uh, process maturity, of course, standardization and automation. So um, for a $10 billion revenue company, this is approximately uh, up to $60 million in um, G&A cost potential. And, you know, that's not small money. Yeah? And uh, most companies, obviously, are looking in order to uh, uh, realize these kind of synergies uh, and potentials. Yeah? So the question is, how can they realize that? Uh, 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 because uh, another piece of research we conducted uh, with our GPS professionals uh, revealed that uh, when we ask shared service professionals around the world, uh, so that's a global piece of research, are you prepared in order to cope with the digital transformation? And do you think you have the right talent in place? This brings us back to the talent question. Uh, mm-hmm. Only roughly a third actually agreed uh, that uh, they have the feeling that they are prepared. So now on this one hand, we have this big potential, the 20 to 35%. On the other hand, we have our GBS professionals around the world, not 100% sure that they have the right strategy and the right talent in place. So uh, this actually is a risk uh, because if our shared service professionals um, don't get in the driver's seat, if they are not able uh, to actually manage that digital transformation in order to realize, to use technologies in order to bring 
um, this 20 to 35 percent potential to realize these synergies, uh, they um, might uh, risk that uh, someone else being uh, a third-party provider comes back to their C-suite and says, you know, if you're captive, your own shared service organization is not able to deliver that. We might be able because we have automation, we are the automate. We have the automation experts, we have all the teams, we have uh, cheap labor around the world, we have a lot of experience. Yeah. And that's actually the last thing as a GBS professional you want to, uh, you want, you want to face. Yeah. Somebody else yeah, going to your C-suite and uh, claiming that they could actually potentially do a better job than you do. So that's, I uh, think, why it's so important that the GBS leaders actually get acquainted with digital they need to build up the knowledge, need to learn to use these kind of technologies in order to realize potential, uh, to automate uh, harmonized processes uh, and use the people uh, to take on further scope. Because I think it's not just a risk, it's also a big chance. Because you, know, you have all the big centers across the world. Yeah? You have a lot of talented people. Why don't you use these people for other jobs? Yeah? Uh, even though uh, there is a certain number of jobs being automated over the next couple of years. You can actually use these people because they speak a couple of languages, they know the company very well, uh, they have got some experience uh, and are very talented. So you can use these people to take on new challenges in your shared service center environment. And I think this should actually be the lever uh, for and the driver for the shared service organization nowadays. Uh, not to look for the doomsday, but to prepare and be yes. prepared in order to even get better out of uh, the digital transformation or the digital transition. As in, be forewarned. I like that very much. Uh, let's get a quick comment from Oliver, and then we're going to try to squeeze in one more topic here from Oliver. Quick from Oliver, and then from Arjun, and then I'll find something from Oliver, and then we're going to go to our predictions. It goes fast, gentlemen. Oliver, thoughts on the GPS, GBS topic, I want to say GPS, that Werner just shared. Absolutely. Um, mainly a comment to, to the first part of the statement, which is that they need to be in the driver's seat, otherwise they can become disrupted, disrupted. Because that is, of course, somewhat a general statement, which is very true, of course, but it's also very true for other parts of any organization. Because whatever part of the organization that is, that is not adapting to the change, that's not going with the digital transformation, not realizing new potential, all the, others, all the other organizations, or most of the other organizations, they're doing so. And even by changing nothing, because the business ran smoothly for 20 years, the winning mm -hmm. teams of today can easily become the losing teams of tomorrow. Because when all other organizations are realizing that potential and really realizing what they, can, what they can get out of the transformation, the market becomes faster, even more volatile, and you might be not able to change your business model in two years from now because you didn't go along with them, but the market was, is acting so much faster now. You know, and that's, that's actually what, what drove a lot of businesses into in, bankruptcy, just not adapting. Thank you very much. Arjun, you have a quick comment on what we're discussing right now, and then I'm going to pick a statement from Oliver to wrap it up. Before. Oliver, I might even have you do the predictions first, because we're running short of time. Arjun, talk to us about what Werner just shared, please. Yeah, one other thing on the GSD side that people, at least we are seeing in the marketplace where organizations are failing, is that if you see this with a pure finance lens um, mm -hmm. we, and, and look at the finance technology and platform, 
um, then you you sort of um, don't understand, we don't fully appreciate the dependencies with all um, infrastructure and aging architecture that the, that the enterprise might be having. And then that dependency sort of draws the efficiencies down. An example would be uh, if you're looking at AR and cash application as, as a shared services, unless and otherwise your all entire order to cash process is fully uh, digitized and, and, and updated with the latest uh, technology capabilities, you actually don't fully realize that. And that sort of uh, puts the uh, enterprises behind the, the, the A-ball because of not looking at this from an end-to-end technology transformation. And again, I can't uh, reemphasize enough, is the people aspect, right? Whether you whether it's a GSP from a pure shared services perspective or it's from a uh, center of excellence perspective, the talent model is significantly shifting. The finance function and the people and the roles that they're playing significantly shifting because the the, the activities are are changing. The, the 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 more than half of the activities that are that were performing in the, in the in the old world are can can be or will be automated. So which means it's not a half of jobs are going away. The jobs are shifting and the roles are shifting. So the GSB has to be seen with a pure lens of talent and also from an end-to-end application architecture. Thank you very much. I'm going to roll right around back to Oliver Schoenberg at SAP. Oliver, we are technically in the crystal ball predictions round. So what I'm going to do is have you start the prediction, but couch it in terms of something that you didn't have a chance to talk about on the show and tell us how that's going to impact the future. And I'm going to give you a whole two minutes, a big two minutes, and then I will go back to Arjun and then to Werner, give them 60 seconds for their prediction. So go ahead, Oliver, please. So uh, my prediction is actually that most predictions will be rendered absolutely useless <laughs> because that comes comes back to, to the <laughs> quote I, I, I came in with. That, that guy that Hunter S. Thompson at the time, that he thought the transformation was already done. He, didn't, he had no idea about what was to come. And I think that is actually what is happening. So for one example, and one example is one of my talking points, is we, we see huge possibilities in the area of machine learning, right? And for years now, we've been talking about, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe some of the jobs we know, they might, be, they might change or they, they might they might be gone in a few years because they are repetitive and, and machine learning will take all, all over that part of, of an enterprise, of, of a value chain, you know. And now we see suddenly that with machine learning, you can even, you can even do creative tasks, which nobody mm-hmm. thought possible. Everybody was like, okay, we know that for all the creative stuff, we still need people, but machines are writing stories. Machines are writing analyst statements, all the kind of stuff we already see. And that goes massively beyond what we were knew was coming in the next 10 years, at least that's my perspective. And I think that the, the speed of, in which things are changing are so, are so ex- accelerating to that degree that I personally have no idea what's been, what will be going on in 20 years. And I think personally I have a, I have a way of looking in the future very positively, so I think that it be great change, and there's going to be work for all of us and exciting um, work for all of us. But the way that it looks like after this transformation is complete and enterprises rethink how they work and rethought how they work and redesign themselves, that's, that is very wide open. 
Thank you very much. I'm going to move quickly. Arjun, I can give you exactly 60 seconds. We're almost at the end here. And then, Werner, stand by 60 seconds for predictions. And I have a quick comment at the end. So go ahead, Arjun, up, please. So what we are seeing, Bonnie, in the marketplace right now is most of the jobs uh, from, especially in the finance space, from accountants all the way through CFOs, um, will will be alongside a machine. Um, it's not that half the jobs are going away, but half the activities are going to be sort of replaced with machines, which means the talent and, and people would actually be working alongside machines. I think that's we, that's something that we could see as a shift. Uh, the other thing is the, the shifting role of, of finance function. Um, traditionally, it's been the more accounting and reporting focused. Uh, but I think the, the, you would start to see a shift from that into a more insight providers to the business partners. So finance uh, function is also almost like a navigating uh, GPS, like a wave type of an app where it's reacting and responding to the market changes and providing good direction to the CEO versus purely uh, accounting and reporting. I think that sort of a talent shift and the, the role shift uh, with machine being you know, sort of part of their uh, work is what I'm thinking. Thank you very much, Oliver. Uh, Oliver Werner, Werner, you're going. Sixty seconds, real fast. Vite vite, as they say in French. I have I have sixty seconds for your predictions. Go ahead, please. Okay, I think um, the digital transformation definitely will uh, will be enough work for us uh, to keep us busy uh, as well as shared service centers over the next couple of years, and uh, we should be prepared. There will be a transition. But I think it will be a good one because we, th- we should be thankful that machines actually can take on more and more activities because nobody should do all these um, repetitive, boring, not fulfilling tasks anyway. Yeah? We should focus on what humans can do uh, because uh, we, we are creative, we have passion, and we have purpose. Yeah? And I think uh, there's only one thing only humans can do, and that's a dream. And we should dream big and should be thankful that we have technology that help us to do a better job. Thank you very much. Quick sidebar. Somebody mentioned machines are writing. Yes, news writing bots have been hired, have been being used by major newspapers and news organizations. Uh, the Washington Post robot reporter published 850 articles in 2017. Just a side note, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Arjun Krishna Murthy, Werner Zettelberger, Oliver Schoenbrunn, and Robin Bao, who had to drop off, but we are so happy to have the four of you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and a shout out, of course, to Michael Alexander Deal at SAP. Thank you, Michael. You outdid yourself on this one. Great panel. Chris Grundy at SAP for sponsoring and Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, the business channel, for getting us on the air. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Arjun, just like Werner, just like Oliver, just like Robin, and maybe just like me. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Coffee Break with Game Changers at 2 p.m. We're debuting a new series called Predictive Machine Learning with Game Changers. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.